This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Opening up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Have major life expenses? Using a credit card can cost you an arm and a leg in interest and fees. Break up with bad credit card debt and check out a SoFi personal loan. With low fixed interest rates and absolutely no fees, a personal loan could be a great way to consolidate your hard-to-pay-off high-interest credit card debt. A SoFi personal loan can also be used for home improvement projects, weddings, travel, moving costs, emergency expenses, whatever life throws your way with funding ranging from $5,000 to $100,000. With a single fixed monthly payment and no fees, a SoFi personal loan is simply a smarter way to pay compared to high-interest credit cards. View your rate in 60 seconds without affecting your credit score at SoFi.com podcast. That's SoFi.com podcast. And get your money right. Loans originated by SoFi Bank N.A. Member FDIC. Terms and conditions apply. NMLS 69689689. Do you import and export goods in and out of the UK? If so, then look no further for all your logistics and freight forwarding needs than Lila International Logistics, owned and run by West Ham fans. Lila, that's L-I-L-A, International Logistics, provides businesses with affordable import and export rates for sending and receiving products anywhere around the world, whether it be by air freight, sea freight, courier or road freight. Lila provide a bespoke service for shipments, so you ain't being passed between departments and you have a direct contact at all times, 24-7 for shipments. Check out their website at www.lilalogistics.co.uk for more info. You're listening to the West Way podcast with Dave and X. Oi, oi! Hello and welcome to the West Ham Way podcast with myself Dave Walker and XWHU employee. It's now one win in seven games after a home defeat to Southampton. It's a tough time of year for us with injuries, suspensions and players out of form. Is tiredness an excuse? What changes would we make for the Watford game? How important is the January transfer window? So much to discuss this week before getting news from X and answering questions from patrons of the West Ham Way. X, one win 
in seven Premier League games. We've gone from Champions League form to relegation form. The game against Southampton was the latest red flag in what is a bit of a concerning time for West Ham. What's going on, mate? Um, probably a number of things. I think it's fatigue. I think obviously they've played a lot of games over the season already. If you throw in Europa and a, a good League Cup run, um, I think that's a factor. I think having a thin squad doesn't go sort of hand in hand with that. So some players have had to play more than you would have liked and perhaps you'd have rested some of them if we had more options. Uh, so a thin squad. I think the loss of three key players, you know, Zuma, Ogbonna and Cresswell were forming a, a brilliant, alongside Johnson or Chappelle, a really, really solid back line. Um, obviously taking out three key players there and um, that's had a, a huge effect. Um, Antonio going a bit out of form was another factor, maybe without having a plan B, which I've said for a while now, other teams have begun to suss us out a little bit. Um, but that's probably a combination of all those factors, I'd say, mate. I think it's hard to disagree with any of those. There's one that has a bit of a question mark for me, and I'll come to that in a second. I think you're you're absolutely right. I mean, the obvious answer is we're missing Creswell, Ogbonna, Zuma, and a fully fit Antonio. But in their absence, I think our biggest problem, X, at the moment, is individual players underperforming. And collectively as a group, I just don't think our attitude is good enough. And I know I'm being a little bit harsh and possibly raising the bar in terms of expectation levels, because if you look at the Tottenham game that we lost, I was actually, I thought, pretty fair in terms of saying that, you know, like I didn't really expect to win the game. I didn't expect us to play as well as we did, considering we had a depleted side and we went out, we had a go and it could have gone either way, fair enough. But I just think after some tough games recently, we get Southampton at home. And there are absolutely no excuses for not winning that game. Yet, look at the way we started. And this is my biggest problem. No one was on their toes. No one was pressing like they should be. No one, with the exception of Rice and Bowen, looks hungry. And after eight minutes, we find ourselves 1-0 down. And that was the start of a really shit first half for West Ham. And what hurts more than anything about that game is that there's nothing special about Southampton. They were there for the taking, but we threw it away because we wasn't good enough. And going into that game, X, after one win in six, being knocked out of a cup quarter final, I just expected better from the group. And I'm really pissed off at the moment. Yeah, I know what you mean. <clears throat> Players are underperforming. The, the, the first sort of 10 minutes, it was so flat and so dead. You know, it, it felt like it was a friendly game almost that people couldn't really be bothered for. Um, I don't think it was a minor thing. Obviously, it's only affected the Southampton game. I don't think the amount of empty seats helped either. I mean, the players come out and half the stadium's empty as well. No, I mean, I know it's the same with Southampton, but Southampton had their away contingent. But when you walk out as a home player, you know, what's going on here? It's half empty. But, yeah, but last uh, season, we qualified for Europe with not a single fucking fan in I the know, stadium. I know, but there was no expectation of fans being in there, I don't think, well, there wasn't an expectation, that was the rules, there were the, whereas this game there was, but I mean, that's a minor thing, I mean, the, uh, I think the bottom line is, it is the injuries to three key players, I mean, Cresswell might be missed defensively, because Masuaku is just, just not good enough, it's time mm. time to give up with him as a, certainly as a left-back and probably as a player, full stop, um, we miss him, not only for these like, being much better, Masuaku, but we miss his set plays, you know, 
we were one of the most deadly teams, if not the most deadly team from set plays, um, and we're just not now. Our corners were terrible yesterday. I think missing him is a, is a big factor. Obviously, Zuma. I was delighted when we signed him, but he's a, I think he's a brilliant centre-back. All clubs would be massively hindered. I mean, if you, if you look at um, a top team, you know, you look at Liverpool, if Liverpool was to lose, Van Dijk, Matip, and um, Robertson, which is the equivalent position-wise to West Ham's losses, then then they would be massively hit as well. Look, look how much Van Dyke's injury affected them last year. Mm. So I think it's natural that that, that would happen. Um, I think there's certain players that perhaps have gone off the ball a little bit. You know, Fornells, Ben Rama, they're, they're not producing like they were. Antonio, obviously. Um, and so maybe, check, I think you can throw yes, him in there. Oh, God, yeah, definitely. He's the main one, I would say. I think he's massively underperforming. Um, and and I think it's just a combination of things. And when the games are coming so fast as well, that doesn't help. And also, other teams have had breaks. I mean, I know we had Norwich off, but we're playing Watford tomorrow, and Watford haven't played for about two weeks. You know, same as when we played Tottenham in the cup. Tottenham hadn't played for a, you know, a number of um, days. And I think, unfortunately, this is creating a bias and, and one, uh, sorry, an advantage to some teams. And one other thing that's being affected us recently as well is VAR. You know, again, oh. again, a terrible decision yesterday. Um, and it just seems that every game we play now, there's at least one major decision that's wrong. And, you know, so you're batting against technology as well as the actual self-inflicted problems. I don't know what one to talk about first, because I think you've made some really good talking points there and all of which I think should be addressed. The first one I'll come to, right, and, and I will accept, because I'm not inside the game, that this view could be deemed as a bit naive, right? Because people within the game certainly know a lot more than I do who's outside the game looking in. But the excuse of being tired is wearing a little bit thin with me, X, if I'm honest. We've often said that one of the most impressive things David Moyes has achieved since coming in is getting this squad to the fittest they've ever been, which has contributed to some of the best physical stats in the Premier League, by the way. And yet, you've mentioned there, and I've seen a lot of fans say we're tired, they need a rest, we're burnt out. But the majority of our Europa League games, we've played fringe players. The the last Europa League game, we played our kids. The Norwich game was cancelled. So that was another rest for our senior players. And are we seriously saying that these finely tuned, highly paid athletes that have sacrificed their lives to be in the best physical shape they can be to commit to their career can't play an hour and a half to three hours a week? I mean, it blows my mind. And I, I, I hear that we're tired. I mean, fuck me. We're not even halfway through the season yet. And, and this is a conversation that I've had with so many boys of 86, right? And I know... Things are different now. It's a it's a lot more kind of uh, based on your athletic ability. There's nutrition involved, and it's a lot more sort of wrapping players up in cotton wool. But back in those days, you'd probably play eight more games a season in the league alone with a squad of about fourteen players, and players would turn out week after week after week. 
and never it was ever. Much, it was much more. It was much more on par though. That the other squads had the same amount of players. The other squads had the same amount of games. Now the squads are. You know, you look at Man City. Man City can afford to pretty much put an alternative eleven out every week. You know, they can. They won't have played the same amount of games as say another team. They would have played more because they've had Champions League. But if you look at Southampton, Southampton have played. You know, I don't know, I don't know how they did in the cup, but probably at this stage of the season, they've probably played about. If you include Europa leagues, and don't forget, most of our senior players did play in the games that mattered. You know, Declan played in them, Antonio played in them, Bowen played in them. You know, you, you, there's a difference of about 10, 15 games. I would say. You'd say as much as that. I mean, if you look in December, 10, 10, 15 is probably too much. If you look at well, if you, I mean, if you take December alone and you take the, the games that senior players have played, and I think I've got this right, I think we've only played one more than Southampton have. And really? it's just like, you know, Christmas is, you know, I don't know, Christmas is a busy time for, for every side, and not every side has an equivalent top quality 11 that they can exchange at any time. You're only really talking about the top three or four that can do that. And I don't know, it. like I said, that the cushion comment to what I've just said was, you know, it, it could be deemed as a bit naive. I, I just struggle at times to see how we can be seen as so fucking tired when we're only 20 games into a season. Not even that. I think we're 18 games. Into, so we're not even halfway through it. And we're talking about being burnt out. I mean, even if you look at the starting lineup yesterday, right? Keepers don't get tired today because they spend most of the 90 minutes just standing still. So Fab's all right. But when you look at that back four, they've spent half to three quarters of the season sitting on the fucking bench. So how tired can they be, really? Rice, along with Bowen, interestingly, are the two players that I would expect to be tired because they run themselves into the ground every week for this club. Yet they're the two players that, to me, don't actually look tired. And then you can say, well, it's their age. You know, they're young. But then Suchik's only 26. Fulnau's, what is he, 25? Ben Rama, roughly the same. So it's not really an excuse for me. And I think the only player I can ever excuse is Antonio for being tired because of the way that he's built genetically. I mean, we've covered that on a previous show. But, and I think we rely on him too much. But everyone else, really, with the exception of Rice and Bowen, I think just has to up their game. Because they just haven't been good enough. And there's too yeah. many players now that are inconsistent who have previously been very consistent. And I, I, I'm just worried, X, that the the tired stamp is going to mask performances. Oh, yeah. No, I understand what you're saying. I mean, at the start, I said poor performances from a number of players. So I'm not disputing that. A number of flat players have been off form, definitely. But the argument you could throw in there is you know, Jurgen Klopp, for example, has <clears throat> obviously a better team than we do, but he has quite a small squad comparatively to the likes of Manchester City and to Chelsea, I guess, and probably Manchester United as well. If you look at the top clubs, you'd say Liverpool's is probably the most minimal. I mean, you know, up front, they only really have Firmino and Jota as the out-and-out forward, don't they? And then when they have, like, Robertson out, they bring in that. Greek defender, I've got his name, but they've, their, their cover isn't as impressive as the other clubs. And look how much Klopp's been moaning about it recently. Like he's, every time you turn on the TV, he's moaning about the fixture congestion and so on. And I think maybe that suggests that there is a, a problem in terms of the size of squads. I know that doesn't necessarily give the answer to <clears throat> West Ham versus Southampton because Southampton would have the same problem, but they haven't played in Europe and so on. Also, <clears throat> 
a number of their players aren't internationals. You know, you look at our players, you, you've got Fabianski until he retired recently. I know it's different for a keeper, like you say, but he's been playing for Poland. You know, Zuma's playing for France. Um, then you go up to uh, Sheffield, Czech Republic, Rice, England, Suchet, Czech Republic, for now Spain, Ben Rama, Algeria, um, Bowen hasn't, and then Antonio for Jamaica. So a lot of our key players have been playing international football as well, and the likes of Antonio especially have been travelling half way around the world to play that football too. So I, I agree with you, and I do understand your point, and I'm not for one saying that your point is rubbish. I think I think you're right. A number of players are perhaps behiding behind that excuse of being tired, but actually their performance hasn't been good enough. Um, and you're right, Rice and Bowen, probably the two that work the hardest, are the ones that look the least tired. So I do accept your point. But I think it's just a combination. I mean, Antonio, Antonio said it was mental fatigue yesterday. But I think it's just a factor when you when you get a bit of a bad run like he's had or other players have had and you can't drop them because you haven't got as good a player or you haven't got the squad to replace them. I think that becomes an issue like Antonio, it has to play every game pretty much mm. because we don't have an, an alternative. Suchek is playing every game. Suchek, I, I don't want to dig him out too much. I get so much stick when I do this, but ultimately people do seem to come round eventually. Suchek has not performed this season at all. And then when I said that, he scored after two minutes against somebody. I got about 25 people messaged me saying, ah, you're wrong, what's just happened? I'm sorry, I'm not wrong. One goal in the, in the first couple of minutes doesn't excuse reasonably ineffective performances for the last however long. And I'm not digging him out because I'm sure by his standards, he's probably not happy with his performances. You know, you only have to look at the goals to, uh, this season compared to last season. If he, I was to say to anyone... Suchet's going to be hammer of the year this year, like he was last year. I bet there's not many people out there that could put a convincing argument for it. And so there's something not quite right about that central midfield. With Suchek and Rice, you know, mm. I think whatever was happening last year, he's obviously, it seems like he's trying to give Rice more of a, a free role and almost like their positions have almost swapped around effectively. Well, I think Rice is playing his best ever football. I think Rice will always get better and better because he's that sort of person, that sort of player. Um, but Suchet's game seems to be massively hindered this season. I, don't know. I can't put pinpoint exactly what the reason is, but I would suggest he's having to play more defensive when his main strengths are going forward. Um, and yeah, there's a few things that need looking at. I mean, if you put it into perspective, obviously I've done this to be like a complete negative show. You put it into perspective, we are still Europa League, what, last 16 or whatever it is now, effort we got to the quarterfinals of the League Cup. We'll hopefully have a good FA Cup run. We're still in sixth place in the Europa League. I think it's almost getting a bit like last season where we hit a bit of a rut round about Christmas time. As long as we can introduce two or three players like we did with Lingard to give us a bit of an injection in January, hopefully we'll kick on and still have a good season. I mean, look, I admire your positivity and I'm a positive fella myself when there's something positive to be talking about. And over the last 18 months, it's been exactly that. I think if you look at almost every show we've done, it's been positive. But at the moment, I'm struggling a bit, to be honest. And, and I don't want to come across like a doom merchant here. But if I just, if I, if I tell you what my concern is, I feel like this season is now a bit of a now or never scenario for us. 
because Declan Rice especially is so crucial to everything we do. If he leaves in the summer, I think we go from a Champions League contender to top 10 contenders. And in my opinion, the only way we're going to keep him is if we qualify for the Champions League and win trophies. And unless we do that this season, I'd be surprised if he's still here in the summer. Because whilst he loves the club, there is going to come a time when trophies and money become more important to him. And then we, we find ourselves in a position where we've got to replace someone that's irreplaceable. So I, I, whilst I try not to be too reactionary and panic too much, I do worry when we're not winning games we should be winning because ultimately it's going to be detrimental to what we achieve at the end of the season, which could dictate some bad news going into next I agree. Week. And I'm going to talk about that in my section about Decker. That is going to come up, and it's very similar to what you've just said there. So I agree with you. This is a crucial make-or-break season, definitely. And I've got my concerns. You know, I was sat in the game yesterday thinking, why aren't the players performing? Why does there appear to be a lack of effort? Why is it that Rice is clearly getting frustrated? I mean, I don't know if it showed, or it wasn't even on TV, was it? I don't know if it showed on the highlights. Probably not. There was a number of times when Declan, one I can remember clearly because it was right in front of me. He got the ball. He's kind of got moving around in central midfield a bit. And he's literally got no one to pass to. Like the players are just marked or not making any runs. And I can't remember what happened, but it didn't work out, whatever it was. And he just threw his hands up in the air. It was just gently, you could see, really, really angry. And this reminded me a little bit of Scott Parker when he was at West Ham and he was dominating things in midfield and, and he just didn't have the players around him. And it, it did make me think a little bit of that, that Declan is too good for us. You know, he was it, by far the man of the match against Spurs, by far, and in every single game, he's by far the best player. So I totally get your point. I won't dwell on it because it is coming later, but I do understand what you're saying. But I think if we can just get a couple of wins again, we might be able to kick on a couple of players, a couple of wins, we might be able to kick on. But any any side, any side that loses, as I said, Zuma or Bono Cresswell is gonna suffer. You know, if like it's like it's sad and it's and it's not what we want and it's disappointing, but we can't change that. We can't make Zuma better until he is better, you know, and losing some of his ability and Chris Wells especially is huge. It's huge for a club like us that has a small squad and has a strong first eleven, but possibly not the best cover. And you know, I think VAR's been a huge problem as well, right? So you take yesterday, that shouldn't have been a penalty. That that we were with the only time in that game uh, before that penalty, we were completely on top, yeah. completely on top, and we were gonna, we would have won that game. I think if that penalty hadn't been given, um, and then they go give that penalty, it's completely stuffs us. It's not a penalty. The foul happened right outside the box, and I what I don't understand is refs usually in that scenario when they're not sure, which he clearly wasn't because he he gave a free kick, and then he went and watched the monitor. They usually err on the side of caution and say, oh, no, I've got a, a buyout. Because it happened outside the area. So why he's going to give it a penalty like that, I don't know. Probably because of what he's been told in his earpiece as he's gone to look at it. And then you take the Tottenham game, you know, their second goal. I haven't seen a replay, but from what I've heard, it was offside. Then you've got the Burnley penalty against Dawson. Then you've got the red card for Chaffel against Arsenal. You know, that that's four major incidents there. When the squad's already... Like depleted, that are beyond your control. 
You know, you, you're being almost, you're almost being played against. You know, they're, they're, it, there's many people questioning whether there's an agenda that the, the Premier League and the FA or whoever would much rather the top six be Man City, Chelsea, Liverpool, Man United, mm-hmm. Arsenal and Tottenham or whatever than West Ham, much mm-hmm. rather. So, yeah. and I, you know, at first I'd be like, no, it's impossible. But the more it happens, the more you think, well, there's got to be something at mm. stake here and, yeah. it, and and I just so that's counted against us I just think it's a combination of many things that have counted against us and it's hard to pinpoint one thing specifically as to what the problem is but if we can win against Watford which I'm very sceptical but if we can beat them and then beat Palace you know things again start to look look rosy so this it's not disaster which is what a lot of West Ham fans are implying it is yeah, of course, it's not disaster. And I don't want it to be panic stations. And I also think it's complementary to West Ham that there are some concerns at the moment because it's it's purely because the bar has been raised so high yeah. because of what we know those boys are capable of and how much we rate the manager and how much we're all enjoying the direction this club is going in, that we do get disappointed even though we're in Europe and we're sixth in the league. I mean, if you'd have said this two years ago, you said that we was all mad, but that's what well, I mean. With your back, three out of your back. Well, if you include Johnson, I mean, just coming back with four out of your four back four being injured. I mean, look at you know West Ham in the nineties. If he was to say our back four, probably when we were at our best in the nineties, was probably what Tim Breaker right back, maybe Billich and Reaper centre back, and Julian Dix left back. Yeah, you take out all four of them, and no disrespect, but I can't remember who the backup players were exactly at that time, but whoever the back four were. You're not getting better than Julian Dix. They say it was Keith Rowland. Keith Rowland's a different league to Julian Dix. You know, Slavon Village. I can't remember who was around at that time off the top of my head, but whoever the centre-backs were there are not going to be in the same level as those two and the same as Tim Breaker. You know, and that, that's huge for us, losing those players. Mm. Yeah, of course it is. And listen, I still stand by the fact that £3 million for Craig Dawson's up there with some of the best business we've ever done. And I like Craig. I mean, when I see him on the team sheet, I'm comfortable with it. I don't think he had a, a great game yesterday, to be honest. And obviously he was involved in that penalty. Firstly, he was put in that position by Diop. And I, I constantly get frustrated with him because this is such a big opportunity. Well, did you actually do? Step up. I'll be honest with you. I was at the game. I was there. I haven't watched the replay of it. And I've seen loads of people blaming Diop for this, but I can't remember what he actually did. Well, he, he just he he just he went up for the ball when he just got muscled out of the way, and then he, by doing that, he's just created that space for the oh, attacking okay. the attacking Southampton player to go through one on one. And okay. to be fair, I mean that Southampton player was rapid and he was clearly yeah. strong. So Craig had his work cut out, and he's obviously just tried to do his best, which then brings me on to this discussion around VAR and the fuckwits that use it because. Once again, they've just become the 12th man for the opposition. And that is how we see VAR now. It's fucking madness. I mean, I've said previously that it takes the euphoria out of scoring goals. When Antonio scored, my celebrations were muted to about three seconds because I thought, oh, here we go. It's going to be a fucking reviewed. And sure as shit, it was. And then at one point, I think I saw someone's fucking toe that could possibly, and I'm not even exaggerating either, like literally the lever on their boot that could have possibly... Of, of disallowed the goal. Thankfully, it wasn't. But then there's that element of it that I hate. Um, and then you talk about the penalty itself. The biggest debate, right, was whether it was a free kick. 
Yeah. There should never have been a discussion around no. the penalty. I, mean, I saw that at the game. You know, I sit on the other side. I'm on the Billy Bond stand on the halfway line. I, so that instant happened more towards the, the main stand. And I was sat where I was with my dad. And both of us said, that's way outside the box. And that's sort of without having the benefit of replays and stuff. And when I've seen the replay, it's exactly what I thought it was. How can they get that wrong? How? I, d- I don't know. This is the thing, right? Because the second it's happened, from memory... The second it's happened, I think Kevin Friend's given a corner. That's the first thing he's done. I mm. think he's given a corner or he's, he's given something or another. I don't know. Well, but... It was a free kick. It definitely wasn't a penalty, was it? I mean, I don't, we know that much. Well, that's right. So this is the thing, right? It's, it's a shoulder to shoulder that causes both players to fall inside the box. So the question was, is that shoulder to shoulder a foul? because it's the momentum of that that's brought them both in the box. And they're both falling in the box. And at that point, the Southampton player has probably fallen and made some sort of contact with Craig's leg. But he was going down anyway. They both were. There's no intention there. It's just the momentum of that shoulder to shoulder. I mean, I always thought that a a fair shoulder to shoulder was allowed in play, which is why I think it's 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 a debatable free kick. For me, I don't even think it was a foul of any kind, not a penalty, not a free kick. It's one of those things. Well, see, for me, I think it is a foul, because right? I think he's fallen, like, maybe it's the shoulder shoulder that's called the ball, but he's fallen over and he's taken the player out. But he's clearly taken the player out outside the box. There's no, there's no question about it. It's at least two metres outside the box. The momentum of them falling over has then took them into the penalty box. But that's like someone, like, being kicked outside the penalty box, doing a hop, skip and jump into the penalty box and getting a penalty it's a fucking ludicrous decision yeah. it's clearly outside the box it doesn't need technology to show that I can see that at the game everyone can see that at the game the replays just confirmed exactly what I saw at the game when I've seen them and I just think to myself how can you get that wrong there has to be something telling you to, to make the wrong decision because it's so obvious it's like you know, it's like, is my hand across this line? I can see my hand is across the line, so therefore it is. But it's that obvious. I can't I can't describe how frustrating that is. And it's like, you know, the Dawson penalty against Burnley, where he was found. Yes, by if you want to make an argument, you can say that it was going, the ball was going nowhere, it was going out of play, whatever. But the bottom line is the definition of a penalty is whether there's contact in the area that doesn't play the ball. There was no contact of the ball. The player booted Dawson, so it's a penalty. That is the rule. That's the description. Mm. Yet yeah, it wasn't given. And it's mm. just, it's just ridiculous, ridiculous. I don't understand how when the description of what is a is a foul, what isn't a foul, whatever is right there in front of you. It's like saying, "Is this pen blue?" It clearly is blue. The guard is red. It's that obvious. I just don't understand it. No. And do you know what? When you look at all different sports around the world, there isn't a bigger sport than football. Football right. is, is everything. It's the biggest sport by a country mile. Yet it has the most incompetent referees in the sport. I mean, exactly. if, if, you know, if you look at tennis or rugby or cricket, cricket. whoever yeah. the authority is in that game, you know, you don't get anywhere near the drama you get in football. No. It's constant no. in football. It's just like, I just can't believe... 
the the level of quality of refereeing we have in this country is fucking of barbaric. None of which get held accountable, by the way. No, exactly. The constant shit they're putting out week after week. 100%. 100%. All these sports that you've mentioned there, I'm going to throw NFL in as well, all have um, video use. All of them do, right? In rugby, the the refs and, and, and in NFL are mic'd up so you can hear their decision. You know, in rugby, you can hear the 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 ref talking to the players and explaining his decision and stuff, which gives a whole new level of accountability, right? In in NFL, for example, the, the refs have to, um, to explain their decisions there as well. And there is so many things in NFL that could be fouls. You know, there's so many for every bit of play. There's so many things. So there's so many potential to get things wrong or right. But because they've got the technology there, same for tennis and cricket, because the technology is there, you know, even cricket now, they've managed to to simulate whether the ball was going to hit the stumps or whether the ball was going to go wide or hit the leg or whatever, which is virtual reality, but they've been able to do it so well, same as tennis, you know, whether the ball's in or out, um, and, they, and it works so well. You never, ever, I mean, admittedly, I don't watch these sports as much as I do football, but you never, ever hear the controversy that goes on in those games. But I think, in a way, because football is so much more multi uh, million, you know, like you said, worldwide, billions resting on it. I think it's more corrupt. And I hate to say it, there's there's something got to be wrong with football for these decisions to keep happening. You know, there was talk in the past before VAR, oh, you never get a penalty at Old Trafford or whatever. And you can kind of understand the human nature behind that because the ref is, it's, it's wrong because they should be able to rise above it. But the ref is influenced by the crowd. It's a big decision to make at their grounds. Generally, they're better teams. They've got more riding on it, et cetera, et cetera. So you can understand the human psychology behind it. But when it's a machine being used by humans, yes, but a machine ultimately, I just don't understand how you can get it wrong as much as they do. And it's so frustrating. And, you know, what is it? A couple of years ago, if uh, we find out that FIFA is corrupt and Platini and yeah. um, Blatter and stuff are taking bribes so that the, the World Cup goes to Qatar. You know, like, for example, the World Cup in Qatar is, is I mean, I don't know what it's going to be like because it obviously hasn't happened, but the fact it's happening in the middle of the season, you know, in a country that's not a football country, that there's been, like, where it has questionable human rights laws. They've got, um, you know, loads of people have died in the making of the stadium and stuff. The whole thing was like votes were bought by big money and it makes the whole process an absolute joke. So there's people you know, that, you know, countries that would have been more legitimately able to host that tournament and have more of a football reputation, they're going to miss out because two dodgy people at the top. And there's got to be something going on with the Premier League now. It's no question that those clubs are the big clubs, the six, the top six clubs that are up there are the biggest clubs in the league. Now you could argue possibly Everton could, could stake a claim, Newcastle possibly now with their wealth and stuff, but they are the biggest leads maybe, but they, they are the biggest six clubs. They're definitely, and there's no surprise, and it's not because they've got the better players and stuff, because I believe Arsenal, Spurs, especially, are as strong as their league position suggesting. They're just Teams like West Ham have been screwed by VAR. They have. Yeah. yeah. You know, if you think yeah. we've got a penalty against Burnley, yeah, it's all hypothetical because you don't know what's going to happen in the game. But let's just 
for the sake of this argument, that goes from two points, sorry, one point to an extra two points to three points, right? The goal against Tottenham would have been one all with the couple. We were playing well at that point. Game against Southampton, I seriously think we would have won that game from that point. So that's another three. That's six points. The Arsenal game, yeah, even if he hadn't been sent off, I think the way we were playing, we probably would have lost that game anyway. So let's just call it six points. Six points in the league puts us back in fourth place. If at the end of the season, we miss out on fourth place by six points, you know, that's yeah. huge. Yeah. And, and, and then they've done their job. Yeah, exactly. Because I totally agree. I believe that there is an agenda. I've said it before. You know, you look at sponsorships of these competitions, for example, that would cost these companies a fortune to sponsor. Um, But they want to sponsor competitions that are won by elite football clubs. They don't want West Ham doing that. And neither do the media. Because they they want... You take that fucking ridiculous Super 6 fucking league. You know, the, the... the top six that were taken, how the fucking hell were they elected? I mean, two of the teams in the, the, well, it's the top six, six there are now, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> so exactly. But, how corrupt but, it is. Yeah, but at, yeah, exactly. But at the time, I think two of the sides weren't even in the fucking top six. The well, Tottenham hadn't won the league since 1961. Exactly. You know, they're claiming to be a superpower. It's, you know, exactly. it's, an, it's an absolute joke. I mean, Tottenham haven't been close after finishing what second one year in the Champions League final to winning anything consistently how they can say that as a joke you look at the history of football clubs in England Leicester have won the league since then Blackburn have won the league since then Leeds have won the league since then um, you know there's, that's three clubs off the top of my head Everton have won the league since then mm. that's four four teams and Everton have won it two or three times even Notts Forest you know, Nottingham Forest won the league a couple of times and even won the European, uh, the European Cup. You know, there's teams bigger than Spurs, but unfortunately, because of the size of the the ground and the, the money involved in them and stuff, they're considered to be the big six now. And the big six always get things going in their favour, mm-hmm. you know, because you look at the sponsors and the people involved in those clubs, you know, Man City is the Etihad, you know, and, and the whole of Saudi, a lot of Saudi Arabia, Manchester United, obviously, a lot of America, the Glaciers and stuff, Liverpool, I think. I can't even remember where they, they were American, weren't they? I'm not sure what they are now, but they're all Liverpool's a massive club globally. Manchester United's globally massive. Chelsea are now, you know, even dare I say it, Arsenal and Spurs are, are, and because they've got that many more fans nationally, they, um, they, uh, they get the, the the results. I know I've got personal experience of this. In the summer, when I chose to be to do a few Chelsea bits of news because of the sources I had and just for a bit different, I, I got so much more attention with the Chelsea news than I did West Ham. I had people like you know I, I did a picture with another guy for a month for not really. You know, people were wanting to sign up left, right, and centre. You know, and if that picture was awful compared to what we were offering in terms of the quality, not not from the guy that ran it his stuff was amazing but in terms of what I was offering and yet because the club's so much bigger I got far more attention from it I I swear if I'd done if I did the equivalent for Chelsea or Manchester United or Liverpool as I do now for West Ham I honestly think you know me and you if you were involved in it with me would be laughing right now you know in terms of what we'd achieve in Patreon but because West Ham aren't that size club and, and stuff it's nowhere near and I think this is what affects football sadly money size 
global viewing reputation of brand and it is so much better for the six clubs to be up there you know it's the same when i look at foreign leagues when i look at italy for example at the moment last time i checked ac milan and inter milan were challenging for the title and i thought that was really cool because that's like the old days and you know milan and the big teams and stuff but ideally from a, a neutral point of view i want to see milan inter juventus roma maybe lazio um, and napoli all competing because they're the top six teams in Spain I want to see Real Madrid Barcelona Atletico Madrid and you know some of the other ones competing and that's what you want when you haven't got a vested interest in the league but that's not real that's not right that's wrong for it to be that corrupt and unfortunately because it's that corrupt it'll always be that way because you'll never get a West Ham or a Leicester or whoever uh, able to maintain their position in the top six because there always can be things counting against them Mm, it's disgusting, mate. Absolutely it's awful. disgusting. Piss me off watching football, mate. If I'm honest with you, yeah. Well, you know, it's like if you used to play, you know, any game or you know, or you used to do anything in life when you knew that things beyond your control uh, are not uh, accounting against you. You think, what's the point of playing? It's unfair. You know, it's mm. the same thing. And maybe I'm being dramatic, but. You know, it can't be that much of a coincidence that every season the top clubs seem to get VAR going in their favour and the lower clubs seem to not. It can't be. No, no, mate, absolutely not. And the thing is, what what VAR has done as well is it, I think it's made it more obvious yeah. of the corruption because yeah. in, in the days before technology and there was a controversial moment, you know, because you didn't have the benefit of looking at it back from a fan's perspective until you, you saw Match of the Day that night, in the stadium there, there was always that little bit of, oh, fucking hell, yeah, now that was never a penalty. But in your heart of hearts, you never really knew because you weren't that close to it. You'd never moan up because it went against you. You'd never moan up if it never went for you at the other end. But what technology's done is in play, it enables you to use your common sense and see what the referee is seeing. Mm. And it's just fucking madness. It's literally exposing ridiculous decisions there and then on the spot. And like I've said before, what annoys me is that these referees seem to be wrapped up in cotton wool and they're not held accountable for their yeah. decisions and even even attempt to explain the bollocks that, that was behind that Southampton penalty. Exactly. How do you even begin to explain why you've given that? Maybe that's why he doesn't explain it, because he knows it's a load of bollocks himself. Well, look at Moyes, what Moyes said in his press conference the other day. He said he's been told by the Premier League that the Burnley decision and the Arsenal decision were wrong. Okay, so good. He's been told that, but who's told him that? Why have they just told him it privately? Who Who's going to face a consequence for that? Nothing. Oh, yeah. Moyes comes out and says, yeah, I've got. I've been told that they were wrong and I've had an apology. So what? doesn't make a difference to the fans, does it? The fans find out, yeah, we were right. We knew, you know, they've agreed with what we were saying. But that doesn't make you get the points back or anything. And these refs just don't have the accountability. And look, I can understand someone making a mistake, you know, Martin Allen's talked to us quite um, uh, in depth about Keith Hackett and how he feels about that mistake he made. And I watched that back the other day because I was just curious to see. And yes, it's a stupid decision. He's clearly wrong. But when he was told Hackett, the agenda is now, that that was the first game that that rule came in, professional fans, which is ridiculous in itself, that you'd introduce a rule in the FA Cup semi-final, which um, I mean, what, there's no logic to that at all. But you can look at it and you can see, I can understand why maybe he's made that decision because he 
look kind of without any replays as if he was through a goal. It is the wrong decision, but you can see why he'd make it. You, in the past, you could look at refs and you could think, yeah, okay, I can see why the ref's given that. And you could kind of almost justify it through human error. Because, you know, the guy I went to Tottenham with a, a mate from university that I had seen for a while. We're really good mates, but he lives in Nottingham and you know we'll see through family commitments and stuff don't see each other that very often, but it was great to catch up with him. He's ref uh not not Premier League level, but he's ref in conference level, he's ref academy games, he's ref um, um you know reserve fixtures, he's he's ref at a decent level. You know, I think he's ref at Stokes Ground at Man City's ground. So he knows what he's talking about. And he admits there was games he'd come off the pitch, he'd know he'd made the wrong decision. And I said to him, I you obviously didn't do it intentionally. He was like, no, I called it as I saw it. And then when I but that's in the height in the middle of the game, and then I reflected upon it and made it was the wrong decision. You can excuse that because he's got no preference to Man City or Stoke or whatever. He's just called it as he's seen it. But when it's a, when he if he had all the answers on a computer in front of him, you wouldn't get it wrong, surely. Mm. Uh, I honestly think if you did like refereeing as a I don't know a, a college or a university course, and you sat down to a bunch of graduates, let's say there's two hundred graduates in a room, and you replay that incident with Dawson yesterday, and you say what's the right decision here? I guarantee you that unless there was some rogue person in there trying to be different, which you always get at university, generally, if people were being honest, 100% of people would have called that right, and the right decision was that it was either a foul or not a foul, but it certainly wasn't a penalty. Mm, yeah, the yeah. one guy that's being paid, I don't know how much they get a year. I think it's roughly 50,000, 60,000 a year to be a ref, I think, roughly. They're getting paid that amount of money to, to make obviously wrong decisions and I, I i can't stand it it's it's ruining football for me because like you say the antonio one we're all celebrating it get the balls back on the center spot all the players have kind of finished their celebration we're about to kick off and it pops up var reviewing goal it's like oh my mm. god like you mm. know and it just takes away that feeling and you know, maybe they need to do so with the rules. Maybe they need to make the rules on things like offside much more clearer. That it's you'll have to be substantially offside. I mean, again, what the definition of that is, I don't know, but maybe even like half a meter or something, rather than these stupid lines where they're like like it's literally a what you said, that's nose or something. Or that's cock, that's, cock, yeah. that's cock away from like each other. Maybe it needs to be a significant one to then review it and do it again. But as a say the decision yesterday there's no excuse for that and it's just so frustrating it is it is and it opens up a wider conversation about how dark football's become I yes. think and yeah, and yeah. it's and it's so sad it's so sad because we you know with the exception of a Leicester they are always going to make sure that clubs like West Ham are never going to achieve their dreams they're going to make sure of that unless you are someone like Newcastle and sure as shit money just governs everything and it's yeah. it's just heartbreaking. I think one day, I know you're one of the biggest conspiracy theorists around, so this will play into your psychology. But I think one day, you know, maybe a hundred years' time or two hundred years' time or whatever, they'll look back at this period of time and they'll think, My God, I can't believe that sort of things went on in the general public. And I'm talking about football here, but as life in general, the general public didn't know those sorts of things were going on. Mm-hmm. or told they were going on yeah. and it's the same for it's same for football like it just can't be the way that 
this happens constantly. You know, look at Ferguson and what he used to manage to get out of referees and stuff. You know, all the sort of shouting at the ref and Fergie time and, you know, it's famed for it. Mm, I know, mate. I know. Very depressing, really, when you think about it. Yeah. Um, tactically, what did you make of Moyes' performance yesterday? Um, I, I, personally, I don't know why he didn't play Johnson at left back and, no. or or Longelo. You know, Longelo yeah. had had a game of his life against Zagreb, and yes, I know. Yeah. yeah, there you Brilliant. go. And I, yes, I know it was a dead game and stuff, but there's still a decent opposition who had to win the game. You know, so they were playing. It was just we weren't. They were playing. I thought he played brilliantly. And Johnson's played left back before. Either of them have got to be a better option than Mazaraku defensively. He's just not good enough defensively. I don't even think, mate. I know we've tried to make the argument for him as a winger, but I just don't think he's good enough. Full stop now, to be honest with you. And I think where he's had injuries, he's not got the pace he once had. Doesn't seem to be as skillful as he used to be. I would sell him in January. So I think Tatsky in that respect that was wrong um, I think I would have played Antonio from the start I know we're all saying he needs a rest but he kind of had a rest by not playing against Tottenham I would have played and I know he had COVID but the manager said he had no symptoms I would have played Antonio up top and had Bowie on the right um, and I just think I think that in terms of the subs, the subs are okay, apart from Yarmolenko who does absolutely nothing every time he comes on there's got to be an academy player better than him there's got mm. to be um, mm. uh, like that could come on and have a, even just by running at them even Fredericks you know yep. Fredericks is a right back but at least he's got pace yeah. he's just getting down the wing and he's put a few decent crosses in, in his time at West Ham so I'd rather Fredericks come on and play right wing Yarmolenko is just a dead waste of a squad space but and why does he persist with him X? why does I he think, persist with him I think because, I think it must be because he's scored a couple of goals for Moyes in his time here. And also, he performs for Ukraine. I mean, I don't know what it is, but when he's playing for Ukraine, he's suddenly a, a world beater. And maybe Moyes thinks, if I could get him to be half as good as he is for Ukraine, then it's worth having. But he just doesn't turn it on for us. He's too slow to play in the wing at West Ham. And he's too predictable. He comes on on the right every time he gets the ball. He cuts it on his left and tries to curl it. It's the same thing every single time, and he's just not good enough. And you'd be much better putting on an academy lad that might not be technically as good as him and might not go on to have anywhere near the career that um, he's had, but he will at least run and show a bit of pace and, and put a bit of fear into the defence. You know, yeah. I honestly think when a defender sees Yarmolenko come on, they must think exactly this. Right, he's slow, so he's not going to beat me for pace. I know every time he's going to cut in on his... Uh, on his left, I know he's going to do that. So what I try and do is show him on his right, and if he cuts on his left, just give a, a metre or two's distance and I'll block the shot. Mm. It's so, so predictable. And mm. the problem with what, with what we've got at the moment is we have no plan B. It's the same B every time. One forward up front, you know, you know it's going to be Rice and Suchek in the centre. You know it's going to be one of Bowen, Lanzini, Ben Rama, Fornells and Vlasic for the attacking midfield. You know there's going to be the four or five at the back. You know it's going to be Dawson and Europe. It's just, it's too obvious at the moment. And that that's the downside of having a small squad. Yeah, it is. Yarmolenko for me, I mean, he, uh, by all accounts, he's a great lad, but he is... 
our highest earner at the football club, which is yeah. incredible to think. I mean, he just he just isn't suited to English football. He's no. not suited to Premier League football. He's so slow. Like you say, he's one-sided. He's predictable. He's ineffective. And for me, I, you know, I don't want to be nasty about it, but I just don't want to see him in a West Ham shirt again. I would... No. Uh, do you know what? I actually was going to say the same as you. I would rather Ryan Fredericks come on at yeah. right wing and just give their left back a problem for pace, if nothing else. Do you know yeah. what I mean? And he's yeah. not the worst going forward, Ryan. No. But do you know, even someone, and I think we potentially this is the wrong side of the wing for him, even someone like Oco Flex. I mean, I yeah. don't think he's done anything other than impress at West Ham no. since he joined. The preseason game against Celtic was unbelievable. His yeah. performances in the under-23s have been unbelievable. Um, it's a shame for whatever reason he couldn't play in the European games. Give someone like him a run out. You know yeah. what I mean? I, I, yeah. I, I, I don't get it myself, but I, I can't see um, him obviously going past the summer because his contract's up. But for yeah. 105 grand a week, I mean, I wish him well because I, I, I've got no issue with him as a person, but, you know, I, he shouldn't be anywhere near that squad for me. No, really no I agree. I mean, I think you've got, if you've got to get, I would, in, a, in January, I would try and get rid of Randolph because you don't need, we've got four keepers plus three very talented youngsters. Try and get rid of Randolph. I mean, I'm going to say this in my section but so it's repetitive but it doesn't matter Masaraku Yarmolenko and Fredericks if, if you could get those four off the wage bill in um in January and bring in four players in the same positions that well, no not keeping you know, never keep it, but bring in four players so it's the same size squad but are going to be far more effective then I think you just need to do it straight away. I think you know I just I don't know, Masaraki who can't defend. So many of his goals mm. come down his side. His concentration is poor. Even in the first minute, they got down his side and got crossing. Um, and, and I remember the guy behind me shouting, oh, here we go with him. You know, Duke's a bit of a liability at the moment as yeah. well. Um, I don't think he's being helped. But the fact he's got Masaraki alongside him, um, you know, and there's, there are players. I know I've said it's fatigue and stuff, but you're right. There are a number of players that just aren't performing at the moment. And, I think, I think we we just need to freshen up in January. If we can be, let's just say we pick up, let's say we pick up three points at Watford and we draw at Palace. Yeah, we'll still be in a good position. We can bring in three players, and that on average is how much Moyes has brought in in his time here when he's been in charge. You know, I think I can't remember his first bid. They've been brought in what Evra didn't he? I think did he? And he brought in Mario and. Somebody else, I can't remember who it was now, Hugo, maybe, which probably not the best example, but he brought in three. And I'm pretty sure in the last year, he brought in Bowen and he brought in a couple of others. He seems to bring in roughly that amount. You get three or four players in, it can change things again for us. And I think that's what we're going to do. And like you said, give give Longelo, give uh, Oco Flex, give some of these other youngsters a chance. I would also. Again, this is coming later, but I'd also pull out Alves, Coventry, and I'll do Becky from their lines and say to them, right, for the rest of January, you've got to you impress me in training and you impress me every moment you get a chance and I might be able to keep you beyond January and you might be able to be on the bench and start to push for first team if we have you know injuries or whatever. If not, then I'll loan you to another club in January. But that gives you a centre-back, a central midfielder and a forward option immediately. Now, I don't think Audrey Becker at this moment's ready. I'm not sure, I don't know enough about Alves to say whether he's ready or not. I believe, despite a bad loan at Peterborough, Coventry is able to step in with a central midfield. You know, you've got Crow and Noble, but just having an option there might be worth considering. Yeah. 
I, I, you know, I, I just think we've got some work to do. We really have. We've been unfortunate with injuries and there's no escaping that for points that we've both made. You're absolutely right. It was always going to hinder us at some point, if not immediately, losing those players. But even when you look at the ages of Creswell, Bonner and Antonio, for that reason alone, you have to start thinking about the future. You know, you have to give another option for Antonio for a start because there isn't one, but he's not getting any younger. Agbana certainly isn't getting any younger. So you need to make that investment now. We need a shit-hot left-back because as amazing as Creswell's been, he's not getting any younger. So we need to start, I, I think, also, whilst trying to protect this season and bolster the squad so that we, we do have other options, we do have competition for places, um, we also need to make sure that we are making a statement of intent for our best players. For example, you want to be able to show Declan Rice that we are going to be bringing in big players. Players like Kurt Zuma, brilliant signing. More players like that to show players like Declan Rice, look, we're still fighting, we're still building, and we still want to be there or thereabouts at the end of this season. And personally, for me, I'd get to the end of the summer um, and I would say, look, Dec, you know, I know that you're, because he will be, let's be honest, I know that you're, you're getting offers, but he's... 150 to 200 grand a week basic. In return, we don't want a contract extension at this point. We just want to give you more than you're currently earning. We want to make you the top earner. Continue to be the club captain. All we want in return is that you give us one more season. One more season. And at that point, this Kratinsky, who is now the second highest majority stakeholder in the club, who lots of noise has been made about, he then has to put his money where his mouth is, work with David Moyes, Rob Newman, to bring in some serious signings so that the squad is comfortable and there is competition for places because the signings are quality ones. And then we have one more season with Deck where we, we, we have a real crack at every competition. And that, that's, that's what I think we should be doing. We need, we need to make the most of January, whilst it's a horrible time to try and sign players, to, to give ourselves the best fighting chance of the rest of this season but also build on the back of the players that we've got, but also protect ourselves for next season. And that's, I think that's so important, Nick. Mm, I agree. But I think, sadly, with Declan, who's going to take something quite substantial. Not, I mean, like I say, we're going to have to win something. We're going to have to buy some really good players to convince him. I mean, and I understand that he could get to any side in the world. He was head and shoulders the best player against Tottenham. And I'm talking on both sides. He, that was the Declan Rice show. He absolutely ran that. And then to finish up on the losing side, you know, he loves West Ham. Don't get me wrong. He loves West Ham. He loves the fans. He's very passionate about the club. But he could earn much more at another club, not just in terms of like a basic wage, but in terms of, you know, win bonuses and sponsorship from, from you know, it's much more appealing to marketers to have a Liverpool and Manchester United player than a West Ham player as the face mm. for things. You know, he. I, I just think we're going to really struggle long-term to convince him unless we do a lot, unless Krasinski can come in and say, right, like you said, boom, here's 150 million and these who we're going to sign and, and then we continue to push and push. I just don't think we'll do that, sadly. That's yeah. my opinion. But well, what worries me, even, even if we do do that, is Dick likely to stay? That's that's the worrying yeah, thing. Well, that's the thing. That's we've, the got thing. To, we've got to try, though, X. We've yeah, got to try. I mean, to try. I'm not being funny. I know people are going to laugh at this, right? But if you're getting rid of Yarmolenko, that's already 100 grand, save of the wage bill. If you're getting rid of 
uh, Fredericks. That's another 50 grand off the wage bill. More right? than that, it's about 75. Oh, fuck, it's 75. I mean, yeah. I'm not being funny. That's that's 180 grand a week, right? Yeah. Fuck it, I'm not being funny. If if Deck was to commit to another season beyond this one, give him 250 fucking grand a week. Mm-hmm. What, what, why is that so outrageous? If that to Declan Rice would say, do you know what, West Ham? Okay, I, I will stay for one more season at 250 grand a week. Why is that so outrageous? Because if he leaves, fucking hell, you're not going to replace him. So that no, would probably I, be the best 250 grand this club will ever spend away. I don't think it's outrageous for West Ham, from West Ham's point of view, because I think you're right. West Ham should do that, because we're not going to get better. We're not going to get a player that captains and carries the team like he does, no matter how much we spend. Almost if we had unlimited funds, we're not going to be able to do it, because there's no one player in world football that would realistically come to West Ham and be guaranteed to have as much of an impact as Declan Rice. I'm going to put a bold statement out here, and I've done it throughout Rice's career ever since he was a 16 year old you can back me up on this show I'm going to make another bold statement about it and it will be right because they're always right when it comes to Declan um, he, uh, he's as valuable now in modern football as Bobby Moore was at West Ham he went Bobby Moore was at his peak and I'll tell you why because Bobby Moore would have been the best centre-back of his generation and his time. And he was the captain and he was the linchpin of all, linchpin, sorry, of all West Ham things and was so important in world football and iconic. Deccan is like that now. Bobby Moore could have got into any team. Deccan Rice could get into any team. Deccan Rice, as I said, for Tottenham, against Tottenham, sorry, controlled that game and has done it so many times. He should have been Hammer of the Year last year. It's a joke. I think that was a conspiracy, personally, as to why I've told people on this show why it wasn't, but that's another thing why it was. That's another thing. He's been Hammer of the Year this year if he stays. Because every game, look at our man of the match, folks, we do on Patreon. I don't know what the overall total is in terms of percentages, but I bet if you were to add up all the percentages of votes across every man of the match poll we've done, he'd be head and shoulders above the next player. So he's so important to West Ham. So realistically, you're never going to be able to buy someone that would come to West Ham that would be better, no matter what you pay. It's the same as Bobby Moore. You couldn't have sold Bobby Moore and replaced him with anyone better. As the same for Trevor Brookin. Those players that come around that are exceptional, West Ham, because of the size of the club, uh, will not get better. So there's no point selling Declan, really. But unfortunately, with Declan, as much as he loves the club and as much as he is, loves the fans, he loves football. And he wants to be the best footballer that he can be. And he wants to look back on his career and remember being a successful footballer. Is he going to be able to achieve that as much at West Ham as he's going to achieve it at Manchester City or whoever will pay that money for him? No, he won't go to Newcastle. Newcastle could come in and throw. And that's why, let me saw I got quoted the other day on loads of media outlets because someone asked me if he goes to Newcastle, I said he's too good for them. And that's the bottom line. He is. He's way too good for Newcastle at this point. And if Newcastle suddenly in five years' time are smashing the league left, right and centre, then maybe. But they could possibly going to get relegated this year. So Declan Rice won't go to Newcastle, even if they throw 500,000 at him a week. I bet you he would choose to go somewhere on half the money that was a better club. And this is the worry that we do have, because how can we convince him that we're going to realistically compete for things on a regular basis? Mm, Yeah, it is. And and do you know what? Let's say Deck does leave at the end of this season. 
Okay, I'm just saying, sorry, this is all root. This is my opinion. I don't want quotes in articles tomorrow. Declan's on his way out. This is my opinion, my opinion, not facts. Yeah, of course. course. And and it's my concern. And I think it's it's the concern of every West Ham fan because of just how good he is. And you've only got to look at our history, um, especially in the last 20, 30 years, when you have players that are playing for West Ham who can play in bigger competitions for bigger clubs, how many times have we kept hold of them? And it's mm-hmm. the same with Declan Rice. But what is going to be a double kick in the bollocks is that dressing room is potentially going to be without Declan Rice and Mark Noble next season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as well. But yeah, Declan Rice, Mark Noble, probably Ryan Fredericks, who does have quite a big role in the dressing room as well in terms of he's quite a popular lad. Dare I say it, Yarmolenko? You know, there, there is going to be a massive gap in terms of personality in that squad next year. You know, and yeah, losing Noble and Rice at the same time is huge. And this is partly why, and I'm, I'm talking, I'm eating up loads of my section stuff here, but it's fine. I, I can work around it. Partly why I don't think Lingard wants to come back because he knows that if he joins in January, his best mates at the club were. Um, a noble Rice and Fredericks, the three of them probably aren't going to be there next year. So he joins the club and he'll see Rice possibly leave and he'll think, oh my God, what am I doing here? When really he could get a good club, a big club as well. You know, I'm sure he'll be able to get himself a decent move. And it's sad to talk about West Ham like this because it's our best seasons in years. And hopefully if we win the Europa League, then things will look a bit differently. But this is why this season is so crucial. And the likes of Sullivan and Krasinski need to go into January. They need to at least attempt to sign, not attempt actually, because that means it might not happen. They need to sign three very good players, at least one centre-back, at least one forward. I would say probably two centre-backs and maybe another midfielder like Lingard and even possibly a left-back if Cress was to be out for a while. And then that would show us a statement of intent. If it doesn't work out, well, at least you've tried. But they've got to try now. Mm, well, to. it's like I've said before, all this noise about Kretinsky, I mean, if 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 that's not possible financially, what's the fucking point of him up in the stake in the club? I mean, it's right. you know, he's coming as an investor. Invest. That's right. what we want, you know? Right. Um but listen, on a positive note, we have two pre-match events to tell you about, starting with Sunday the 9th of January, before our FA Cup clash with Leeds. The special guest for this event will be legend Alvin Martin. So if you fancy a laugh before the game, then you'll love this event because Alvin is brilliant. And um, he's got a son that's currently in the squad as well, who will know exactly what's going on with the current um, team and what he would do. He'll be well informed. David and Alvin talk all the time. So not just will he be able to talk about his his own career at West Ham. He'll be able to give an insight as to what's happening now as well. And he's good mates with Declan Rice and people like that. So Declan and him are very close. I think David Martin's a very popular fella. So Alvin will know exactly what's going on right now as well. Yeah, exactly right. So it'd be interesting and funny and it'd be a great way to start the uh, the FA Cup clash against Leeds. And then one week later, on Sunday, the 16th of January, before the league clash with Leeds, we have Colton Cole as a special guest. And obviously, Colton was due to be the guest at Norwich game, which was cancelled. So he's been rebooked for the league game against Leeds on the 16th of January. As always, both events will be at O'Neill's in Leytonstone and usual benefit supply, and we hope you can make it. Okay, so as we approach the January transfer window, can X give us anything to be excited about? Um, 
To listen to the rest of this podcast, you need to be a patron of the West Ham Way. Becoming a patron couldn't be easier. Just visit www.patreon, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash the West Ham Way and confirm your subscription to get full access to the West Ham Way podcast, our second weekly show called the West Ham Way podcast, Extra Time, classic clips of audio and video interviews, exclusive news from X, match day team news before anyone else, an exclusive forum, live Q&As with myself and X, monthly prize draws, discounts on events and merchandise, and behind-the-scenes content, all of which for just £5 a month. Finding the right person for the job isn't easy. Just ask someone who hired a drama coach to be an IT guy. Yeah, I'm having trouble logging in. I'm not buying it. Say it again, this time with feeling. I can't log in? Come on, man, I want to feel your struggle. But if you've got an insurance question, you can always count on your local GEICO agent. They can bundle your policies, which could save you hundreds. Now, like your life depends on it. I can't log in. Yes, we'll make an actor out of you yet. For expert help with all your insurance needs, visit geico.com slash local today. It's Macy's Labor Day sale, so gear up as summer cools down with 30% off timeless looks from Levi's and specials like 30 to 50% off statement-making shoes for her and 60% off luggage from Samsonite and more. Or use your coupon or Macy's card and get an extra 20% off more great deals. Plus, Star Rewards members can earn rewards even faster during Macy's Star Money bonus days. Going on now. Savings off regular sale and clearance prices. Exclusions apply. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure. 24 7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.